0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening.
1: Good morning, church. So good to see you once again. Over 70 being baptized today. Is that amazing? Praise be to our wonderful God. If you don't know what abundant life is about, maybe it's your first time we exist to see lives changed by Jesus. Jesus still changes lives. We're in a series called... Irresistible. If you don't know, we do ministry in two-year runs. We're coming up on the end of what we call the Impossible Campaign. And we're going to be celebrating, looking back, some of those impossible things that God did. We see impossibilities become realities. And we're about to begin another two-year run that we're calling Irresistible. So this is a vision series. And we we'll gonna be talking about the things we're asking God to do in the next two years as we call this campaign Irresistible. We want to make Jesus irresistible irresistible. irresistible to a watching world now listen we don't make him irresistible he already is but we want to represent him in irresistible ways. We want to put the gospel on display in an irresistible way, in really tangible ways. So I started last week this series talking about a new family minister we're going to be launching next year, Irresistible Families, as we're going to be equipping families, marriages, and people that are raising children in a world that's increasingly hostile toward the gospel and hostility toward biblical families. We want to give you the tools and equip you to to really succeed through difficult times, to raise up your children, to know and love Jesus. It was uh, October the 5th, 1991, that Chris and I began our family. And the Hopper Home was established on that day. Now, there's some things that haven't changed in the 30 years since. A lot of things have changed, as you can see. My wife hasn't changed at all. I've changed a lot. We're not gonna talk about that. But there's some things that haven't changed. On this day, I found her irresistible. As you can see, she found me irresistible. Uh, and 30 years later, uh, we still find each other irresistible. Yeah. I find my bride irresistible. Did you know that the church is called the Bride of Christ or out the New Testament? And did you know the imagery God gives us of the relationship between Jesus and you and I, as He is the bridegroom and the church is the bride? How would you like to be an irresistible bride to the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, that's what I want to be at Abundant Life. I want him to find our church irresistible. What kind of church does Jesus find irresistible? As we think about the irresistible campaign and the irresistible things that we're gonna be doing in our city and beyond to put the gospel on display in irresistible ways, what I wanna know is what does Jesus find irresistible? As I find my bride irresistible, I want him to find the bride at Abundant Life truly irresistible. Now, did you know that not every church is irresistible to Jesus? As a matter of fact, if you look in Revelation chapter three, and that's where we're going to study from today, Revelation chapter three, you see seven letters to seven churches written by Jesus himself, dictated through the apostle John, and what we discover is that some of these churches are anything but irresistible to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he considers some of these churches reprehensible, not irresistible. And today I want to compare and contrast two of these churches. The seventh church is the Laodicean church. Now, if you've been through my Revelation series, you know that I'm convinced, well, these seven churches were seven literal historical first century churches. Each of them also prophetically represents seven stages of church history of which we are now living in the seventh and last stage of church history. Each of these churches' character qualities represents some aspect of the church at that time in history. And we're living at such a time that we can say we're in this Laodicean, Church age. Laodicea was a prominent city of Asia Minor where Paul and the other early Christian missionaries established a church known as the Church at Laodicea. And if you're looking in Revelation chapter 3 to the letter Jesus penned to the Laodiceans, it is anything but a letter saying, You are irresistible. It is a letter saying, I find you reprehensible. He says to the Laodiceans, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you are lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, you make me want to get sick to my stomach. Can you imagine Jesus writing that church, that letter, and the pastor opening up that letter on a Sunday morning? And he reads that letter from the apostle John himself. And everybody's got eyes wide open. And he says, this was dictated by the Lord Jesus through the apostle John. And it's a letter to us. And he reads this letter. I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and either cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say you're rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing. And know not that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you think you could have heard a pin drop on that Sunday morning? Jesus is literally saying this church made him sick When he looked at this church, it wasn't irresistible. It was reprehensible. I mean, he had a gag reflex. I don't know about you, but there are a few things still in my life, even at this age, that I have a gag reflex. Like when I was a little boy, my mama made vegetable soup, and she put cooked cabbage in that vegetable soup. Steamed cauliflower. Come on, you've got some of those too. You know that, right? Jesus looks at some churches and like, making you sick. Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying too. I want want you to feel for what Jesus sees. When he looks at Laodicea, now you can see why the Laodicean church is a picture of modern American Christianity. They were rich and wealthy materially, but they were bankrupt spiritually, full of lukewarm Christianity, meaning they were full of apathy and complacency. Jesus is saying, look, I either want you in or out. I want you hot or cold. He likes his hot things hot and his cold things cold. It's kind of like me and coffee. I'm a coffee connoisseur, church. You didn't know that about me, but I am. Might be more of a caffeine connoisseur. I'm not sure. But I like my coffee piping hot. I mean, it's got to be hot enough I almost can't drink it, or it's not hot enough. I I hate lukewarm coffee, don't you? If they send me a you know, lukewarm pot of coffee at a restaurant, I'm saying, can, can you please heat this up for me? I know, I don't want to be a pain. I just can't drink lukewarm coffee. Now, there's a long time, I made fun of iced coffee. Like I said for years, ice and coffee should have never met. Horrible combination. I'd never actually tried it before. And then Chad Glover made me an iced coffee one morning, presented it to me. I had to drink it, and I had to change my mind. I did. In fact, on a hot day, if I want coffee, my choice is iced vanilla latte. And I still have my man card. (laughs) Iced vanilla latte. See, it's got to be either hot or cold. Do you understand that's what Jesus is saying about you, saying about me? The church he finds reprehensible is a lukewarm church of lukewarm Christianity, where we are focused on things materially more than we're focused on things spiritually, where we have the sense of complacency and apathy. Now, on the other hand, there's the Philadelphian church. Philadelphia was also a city of Asia Minor, was today modern-day Turkey, and it was there that Paul and the other Christian missionaries established a church to Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, that's a different Philadelphia. Philadelphia in Asia minor was by this time a very prominent city. It was built by Alexander the Great when he came through and conquered that part of the world and he built the city of Philadelphia. By the time of Christ, over 300 years later, it too had become a prominent city. And this letter to the Philadelphians is a letter, you might say, as a love letter. He finds this church irresistible versus the church at Laodicea that he found reprehensible. And I want you to see four character qualities of this church. We ought to aspire to be a a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean world and you ought to aspire to be a Philadelphian Christian in a Laodicean world and for all that has changed in the 20 years of the life of our church, and our church has changed a lot in 20 years' time, and it will change a lot more in the next 10 years' time. As we look back to look forward, I want you to see there's some things that should never change. For all the things that will change, there's at least a few things that must stay the same if we wanna be an irresistible bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one is this. This church had a focus on eternity, a, a church with a laser-like focus on eternity. Look at what he says in this letter in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he that opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Now, Jesus sees their works. Now, listen carefully. We know that we are not saved by our works. All right, Ephesians two eight nine it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us. See, we are saved, forgiven of our sin, born again, so that we can go to heaven, not by our works for him, but rather his work for us exclusively in what he did on the cross when you put your faith in what Jesus did for you. That's what makes you a Christian. That's when he forgives your sin and gives you new life in him. But don't think for a moment he doesn't care about our works. See, we don't have works to get saved and become a Christian, but our works ought to reflect that we are saved and that we are a Christian. And right now he's looking at the works of this church and he says, because of your works, because of your character qualities I see inwardly, I'm going to open up doors of opportunity. You see, this was a church that was focused on eternity. He's opened a door to them and no one can shut it. Listen very carefully. Because they are living with eternal priorities, they walk through doors of opportunity no matter how risky. If you want to be irresistible to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you must have a focus on eternity. You must live your life for the things that matter, that last forever. It's Matthew 6, 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't seek first your little kingdom made Of dust that will one day decay, focus on the kingdom of our God that will never ever fade away. That means you're living with eternal priorities, kingdom priorities. You're not a Laodicean Christian that is focused just simply materially and what you can gather temporarily, but rather you are focused on the eternal, not the temporal, not the material, but the spiritual. And if so, God's going to open up doors to you. God's going to open up doors to us. This is what we've always been at Abundant Life. And this is something that can never, ever change. 20 years ago, at this very moment in time, this is where we're meeting. A lot of people don't know this. They go, well, this has just always been here. No, it hasn't. 20 years ago, this is where our church was meeting. This is the building, 98 people called me to be their pastor on a Sunday night in February of 2000. Now, a lot of people think we started in a house. That was never a house. It was about the size of a house. But it was actually a former kingdom hall. The Jehovah's Witness were meeting there. We bought this building from the Jehovah's Witness, kicked out all the demons, had an exorcism, and started preaching the gospel. That's how it happened. There was something we had going for us in this little church. We're just this little neighborhood church, but this little neighborhood church had a vision to reach the nations. While we're on this little block in this small city, we know that Jesus had called us to take the gospel globally, not just locally. We were focused on eternity, the great commission to take the gospel to the nations, beginning with our neighbors. And what that meant was we were going to live a little bit dangerously. We're going to have a faith that was risky. And when you have a faith that is risky, you'll go through those open doors of opportunity, which sometimes doesn't come with a guarantee. It doesn't sometimes have security and safety. See, the American church talks a lot about faith. We just don't like to ever have to actually use faith. We like to try only those things where we can't lose. Attempt only those things we can see. Attempt only those things that come with a guarantee. Yet Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Which means if we're not risking something for God, we're not exercising faith in God, which means it's always right to risk for the cause of Christ. So what are you risking for Jesus? This is who we were in those early days, and God began to open doors to us that we could not have opened for ourselves, and I want you to see the church that Jesus finds irresistible, has a faith that is risky, and gives sacrificially to redeem lives eternally, and this is what God began to do in those early days, opening up doors for us that we could not have opened for ourselves, knowing that we would have a courageous faith, a risky faith to walk through those doors, whatever. Whatever doors He opened and whatever opportunities He put in front of us, see, the Philadelphian Church is a church of the open door, because God knows if He opens up a door, they will seize the moment. They won't just see the moment, they will seize the moment by faith, and they will walk through that door. Listen carefully, Church. I don't know why God has chosen to move it, abundant life. I don't know why. I can promise we're not that special. We're not that spiritual. We're not that good for reasons known only to God. For 22 years, he has moved in miraculous ways, ways I could not have even fathomed or imagined 20 years ago. And even then, I had a big vision. But even then, I could not have imagined. We have lived in Ephesians 3.20 for 22 years. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Even I could not have imagined 22 years later, all the things that God would do. He's moving, but listen very carefully. If we become like the average church in America and just get satisfied with meeting, God will stop moving. See, the average church in America, the only vision they have is to have another meeting. We're gonna have another gathering one Sunday to the next. The only vision there is is just to have another Sunday service and then another one after that. That's really the only vision. They're just meeting, but they're not really moving. And if indeed we ever decide just to hang on to what we have instead of risk all that is for all that could be, we too will stop moving and we'll just start meeting. And I want you to see, this is why God is moving. This is why he's opened doors of opportunity and this is why we can never simply settle for what is now here's the deal y'all it's easy to risk everything when you got nothing see in those early days we didn't have a lot to lose we didn't really have anything to risk I mean, in those early days, listen, had we taken a risk and tried something beyond us and bigger than us, even if we failed, everybody would have clapped for us and said, Well, you're the little church that tried. But what happened in the life of a church 20 years later? You got a lot more to lose. So you got a lot more to risk. And so churches normally, at our juncture, instead of taking another risk because you got so much to lose, you just start to manage what you have. You just start to maintain what you have. You just start to try to hang on to what you have. Does that make sense? You quit taking risks, so you quit doing the things that got you there. And I'm sharing this message today because as we trace our steps to the future, it's found by retracing the steps to the past for all the things that will change. These things must stay the same. And what I'm trying to say is we can never settle for what is, because that is the slow fade, and eventually it is the slow death into Laodicean Christianity of apathy and complacency instead of living with a faith that is risky a true danger to the enemy this philadelphian church number one is focused on eternity and it's why they're willing to live risky which is the only kind of faith there is it doesn't come with a guarantee but number two it has a heart of humility they never got too big for their britches that's how my mama would have said it they don't get too big for their britches no matter how big they get Look at what Jesus says. I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. Now, he's commending them. He's congratulating them. He says, I'm going to open up doors to you supernaturally, miraculously, unexplainably, because you just got a little strength. Now, at first, this looks like a backhanded compliment. Really? Just got a little strength, and you're You're commending us for that? Listen carefully. What he's recognizing in them is a heart of humility. And I want you to understand, church, no matter how big we have gotten or all the buildings we now have and all the locations and we're one church in multiple locations and many sites, and I want you to understand, in spite of all that you see, we are still that little church with just a little strength, meaning we're desperate for God. We will always be attempting more than we can possibly do. We will always be trying to lift weight that is far too heavy for our church to move. I want you to understand why. Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. What is pride? Pride says, we got this. Guess what? Apart from Jesus, we don't got this. In those early days, we weren't even sure we'd keep the doors open. We were desperate for God in those early days. That's what you have going for you. As a small church in infancy, you're desperate for God to move miraculously. And we had this vision of reaching a city. See, the vision was focused outwardly. But over the course of time, the gravitational pull on every church, where it begins with a vision outwardly and now begins to focus inwardly, and that begins to slow fade spiritually into atrophy and complacency where all of a sudden it's all about us and it's all for me when initially it was not for us it was all for God's glory and it was a whatever it takes mentality that church in infancy is desperate to see God move miraculously because you know you are toast apart from God 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble This is football season. So here, this is this is God's Heisman pose. He resists the proud. You want to be irresistible to Jesus' walk in humility, which means dependency. Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. Because when you stop for remembering that you need Jesus and you're desperate for him, I will say all of a sudden, you become reprehensible. He resists the proud. You see, this is a church with a heart of humility. This church recognizes their dependency on God. And church, listen carefully. We are still just that little church, desperate for a move of God. What we're trying to do is too big for me and you. I say this often. I say this all the time. Someday repeat it at my funeral, all right? When you come to my funeral someday and you're kind of quoting Philisms. This one has to make the list, okay? Remember this forever. We need a vision that demands divine intervention that keeps us in a state of... Some of you listen. Yeah, we need a vision that demands divine intervention that keeps us in a state of desperation, which is why I've said many times, every finish line must become a starting line. We're getting to the finish line of the impossible campaign, and we could just celebrate all that God did. But listen carefully, that has to also become a starting line. What are we asking God to do? And only as we have a new vision that demands divine intervention, does, we, does God see us in the state of desperation. And did you know that God moves when the people of God are desperate for God to move? It's desperation. See, the Laodicean church ain't desperate. They got everything bought. They got everything paid for. They were materially in a place of prosperity, which led to lukewarm Christianity and apathy. They were not desperate for God to move. And the Philadelphian church understands we just have a little strength. We don't have what we need to do what God has called us to do. Number three is this it stands on biblical authority. These are the character qualities that Jesus finds irresistible in his bride, irresistible in his people. And this is a church that stands on biblical authority. Look at what it says in verse eight. I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength. And look at this. You have kept my word. You've kept my word. Listen carefully, you cannot say genuinely you're following the son of God if you're not a follower of the word of God. You can't separate the Word of God from the Son of God. They're one and the same. John 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is the living Word, and the Bible is the written Word, which means you cannot be a follower of the Son of God if you're not a follower of the Word of God. Are you keeping God's Word? Because I'm going to tell you right now, this is an age where a lot of pseudo-Christians, I'm talking about Christians in name only, say they're following the Son of God, but they've abandoned the Word of God. And this theology has gutted American Christianity. This false counterfeit theology has gutted the power of the church. You understand that when you abandon the word of God, the son of God abandons you and when the son of God abandons you, you lose the spirit of God in you so the very thing that Jesus put in the world, the church to give life to the dead can not only keep dead people dead. And that's what we have today in American Christianity, a church that can only keep dead people dead when Jesus put us in the world to make dead people alive. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, the word of God is living and powerful. It changes people's lives. But if you don't believe it, It can't give life to those that have died. And this is why we watch what has happened in American Christianity from denomination after denomination after denomination and church after church after church slowly eroding from the inside. What Satan could not do through persecution outwardly, he has done over and over again through the erosion inwardly. When churches no longer believe the Word of God is indeed the Word of God. Well, you know, it contains the Word of God, but it's not all the Word of God. We're not really sure what it is and what is it so what happens a cut and paste theology where we keep those parts in the bible that is palatable and pleasing but the part that's distasteful or maybe politically incorrect even though it's biblically correct well that part we're just going to leave behind and jesus finds it reprehensible do you know the laodicean church has lost jesus revelation 320 jesus is not even in the church he's on the outside He's knocking on the door in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Wait a minute, Jesus, why are you outside knocking on the door of your own church? I'll tell you why, because they have abandoned his word. And when you abandon the written word, you lose the living word. They don't even know Jesus is gone. And that is the average American church where 80% of American churches are now not a church in the eyes of God, a church in name only because it doesn't look anything like biblical Christianity, the New Testament. It's been gutted. The Bible has been gutted. And this is what has happened on the inside, generation after generation, where churches have failed to keep God's word. And this is one thing that can never, ever change at Abundant Life. For everything that will change, this is one thing that must stay the same. We will keep God's word, no matter the cost. I I am literally standing. I've only shared this one other time in the six years we've been in this building. I'm standing on a handwritten letter, a promise that I wrote to Jesus As this platform was being poured, we had taken an enormous risk to walk through this door And I'm today standing literally on a promise. I wrote to Jesus that from this platform, the word of God would always be preached generation after generation after generation without apology, without humility. We will never ever water it down, which has led to a weak, anemic brand of Christianity. You see, this church is irresistible to Jesus. You know why? Because they refuse to compromise the truth no matter how costly because they know the Bible is true absolutely. Now, this isn't popular today. I I know this. It's extremely unpopular because there's lots of parts of the Bible that are completely contrary to modern American society. So what happens over and over again, God puts the church into the world to change the world, but what happens is the world gets into the church and changes the church. We see it happening even now. This is what has gutted American Christianity. We see it happening. It's happened over and over again, happening right now to the United Methodist denomination. What was once a strong gospel preaching Bible belief started in the 1700s by Jonathan and Charles Wesley. Those two brothers would be rolling over in their grave if they could see today what has become of the movement that they began. Because if you're paying attention to what's happening in the church, not just our church, and I love our church. God has called me to pastor this church, but I love the church, I love the bride of Christ. And you know what's going on with the United Methodist denomination? They're splitting. It's being gutted, again, like so many denominations before them. And they're splitting over what they believe the Bible teaches about sex and human sexuality. But listen very carefully. The real issue is not sex and human sexuality. The real issue is the Bible. What do you believe the Bible is? Do we have a word from God or do we not? Do you understand the first recorded words of Satan in Scripture is Genesis 3-1? Has God said? The first recorded words of the enemy of God is simply meant to cast doubt on what God has said. And did you know the same tactic Satan used in Genesis 3 is the very same tactic used today in the 21st century? Has God said... Has God really said that? Are we sure God said that? I don't have time to show you all the reasons why rationally, factually, I am convinced the Bible is a supernatural book, that it's one we can trust and all that it says for all that we believe and all that we do. I've done it in the past. I can tell you about the bibliographic evidence, the archeological evidence, the manuscript evidence. I can talk about the prophetic. I can give you all the rational reasons why. I don't have time, let me simply say, that we believe believe the Bible is true it is the word of God it is the revelation of God to all men and all women for every generation and Jesus hasn't changed his mind about anything he has ever said we will keep his word no matter the cost but number four is this it holds high Christ supremacy in a world of counterfeit gods in a world of false deities We will hold high Christ's supremacy. This is the bride that Jesus says is irresistible. Look at what he says in verse eight. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. Do you understand for these early Christians 2,000 years ago, they were hated by their neighbors. They were hated by, By the pagans around them, not because they worshiped Jesus, but because they would only worship Jesus. See, the Romans were pluralistic theologically, much like our society today. They had many gods. Pick your own God. This is my God. This is my God. You pick your own God. That God will do. They had no problem if somebody wanted to worship Jesus. Their problem came when they would only worship Jesus. And the reason these early Christians were hated and persecuted so mercilessly is that they would not deny the name of Jesus. They knew that Jesus is Lord, capital L, that he is King, capital K, that God has highly exalted him, Philippians chapter 2, and given him a name that is above every name that is named, that is the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now imagine how reprehensible that was to those pagans that worship many gods. You understand, we live in a society much like Rome. There are many ways to God, all religions lead to heaven. It amazes me that not only is that unbiblical, it is completely illogical. How can opposite things all be the same? Buddha is not Jesus and Jesus is not Allah. No, as a matter of fact, there's coming a day Buddha will bow the knee to Jesus. There's coming a day that Muhammad will bow the knee to Jesus. These are not all the same. No, these are different. And Jesus said these words in John 14, 6: I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4 and verse 12. No other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Yes, I know, it makes even some of us uncomfortable. Pastor Phil, really, surely that's not true. Surely Jesus isn't the only way. Imagine Jesus on the night before he died, a horrible, bloody, brutal death. He in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times to the Father. Father, if there be any other way, let this come pass from me God if there be a plan B I'm listening but he said not my will but your will be done imagine how offensive it is to Jesus who died a brutal bloody death for you when a Christian says well he's my way but he's not the only way no if he weren't the only way then why did Jesus have to die if there was another way then what a waste it was for Jesus to die a brutal, bloody death. Oh, but there is no other way. Oh, Phil, sounds so arrogant. It would be arrogant if it wasn't true. Who else died for your sin and rose again? Who else did that for you? And you see, the church has denied his name again and Again. Well, Jesus is our way, but he's not the only way. Let me just say clearly that this church Jesus finds irresistible, understands Jesus has no equal in this world of many deities, that he is the way to God exclusively, the way, the truth, and the life, even in a world of open hostility toward this idea of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. The church he finds Irresistible refuses to deny his supremacy, refuses to deny the sufficiency of the finished work of Calvary. Church, for all the things that will change, these four things will always stay the same. If you want to be an irresistible bride, to Jesus, if we want to be an irresistible bride at abundant life, these four character qualities is what Jesus finds beautiful. And this is the church to which He will give open door after open door after open door again and again and again and again. He says, I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. 22 years ago, I came fresh off the SWAT team. KCPD. Went to bed a cop, woke up a pastor in March of 2000. And I'll admit in those early days, I lived mentally like I used to as a SWAT guy. I, I was the ram man. I don't know if you know what that means, but I carried the ram. And my job was to run up to a door that was locked and go, bam, it was awesome. Bam. That was me. It was a fun job. I loved. Never found a door I couldn't get through. My job was to kick doors in. I came 22 years ago saying, hey, let's kick doors in for Jesus. Now understand, theologically, I don't think there's a problem with that always. Meaning, sometimes we overcomplicate the sovereign will of God. How do I know what to do? Listen carefully. I'm convinced sometimes if it's for God's glory, for His name, for His fame, He's saying, here's door number one, door number two, door number three. Pick one. I'll bless it. Just make a decision. I'm trying to say the sovereign will of God for you is not always a little narrow path. And if you get off one way or the other, God's going to be mad at you. Sometimes it's a six-lane interstate. Pick a lane. If God calls you to go to the nations and take the gospel to the nations, you're not going to get to heaven one day, having taken the gospel to Tanzania to hear Jesus say, I meant Uganda. Sometimes Jesus is looking to just say, do something, I'll bless it. If it's not sinful or unbiblical, if it's for my name and my fame, hey, just go. Go you therefore. But the older I've gotten, as I've maybe hopefully matured some in my faith, I'll kick in doors where needed, but really what I want to look for is an open door. Jesus, where's the next open door? Where are you leading us next? You know what makes a church old? It quits starting things new. Our church is now 22, at least from the time that I became your pastor. We could get old, but we don't have to. God's opening open doors. What will we do? Will we just hang on to what we have? The church that does will soon be a monument. Or will we look to the future of what God might do? That's the church that continues to see God move. As we began to look at the next two-year run called Irresistible, God, where do you want us to go next? I'll be honest. Our leadership team, uh, we, really, we really, really, really rattled the door in Lawrence, Kansas. Not because I'm a graduate of the University of Kansas. Not because that's my alma mater, though Jayhawks need Jesus too. Usually even more so in the fall. The fact that we broke the top twenty in football is clearly a biblical sign of the second coming of Christ. We <laughs> We need to move quickly. We'd love to have paradigm, our young adult ministry, on a college campus someday. I mean a true college town. Be awesome, but guess what? Rattled the door, it was locked. Could kick it in. I think Jesus might bless it, but we're not going to. We made the decision to walk away from Lawrence. God, what do you want us to do? What's next? And no sooner had that happened, we got a call. I'll tell you the story tonight at 4.30. If you'll come back to a business meeting, I will tell you the whole story. But we have an opportunity to purchase at 119th and Flum, the Overland Park Church of Christ, 24 and a half acres, the very center of Johnson County, Kansas, 80,000 square feet, A thousand seat auditorium. Why would we go to Johnson County for the same reason we'll be launching in the crossroads early next year? For the same reason we sent people from here to Blue Springs? For the same reason we sent people from here to Independence? Because Jesus has given a commission to reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you live in Kansas City, your Jerusalem is right here. In Johnson County, Kansas, is a place where tens of thousands of people live that need Jesus. And Jesus is opening up a door. I'll share you more about it tonight at 4.30 if you'll come back. Because before we do this, our church still votes on this kind of stuff. You get a say. We're going to seek approval tonight to vote for the purchase of this property. I'll share all the details tonight at 4.30. This would become the next Campus of Abundant Life after we launch the Crossroads early next year. Last week I had a luncheon with about 80 members of our church that live in Johnson County. Some of them driving 30, 40 minutes to get here to Lee Summit. Because my impression of Johnson County and Overland Park and that part of our city is like, it's kind of like Lee Summit. Churches are everywhere. Great churches are everywhere. They don't need us there. And I honestly don't want to go somewhere where we're not needed. But if you listen to people that live there, it might not be exactly as it appears. And these 80 people... We're quite enthusiastic and passionate about bringing abundant life to their neighborhood. Let me tell you more about this. Johnson County is home to over 600,000 people. Here are the statistics, 56% never go to church, never ever, anywhere in any capacity involved in church, which means 300,000 people live in Johnson County that are far from God. They need the gospel half of the county, 300,000 people. The population is 607,000, family households, 153,000, tens of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are there. And here's the reality. I didn't choose to go there. I could show you on a map of the metro all the places we would love to be someday. This is the door of opportunity Jesus opened. What will we do? What decision will we make? From 119th and Flum within an eight-mile radius, you have Lenexa, Kansas, Overland Park, Kansas, Leewood, Prairie Village, Lock Lloyd, Olathe, Merriam, Grandview, Missouri, Fairway, Mission Hills. It's less than a 15-minute drive anywhere. In Johnson County, and I'm trying to tell you today, church, that God has given us yet another open door. And I'll share more tonight if you come at 4:30. Yes, I know the Chiefs are kicking off at 3:30. I-, I-, I know. I- I'd love to watch that game too. I won't get to. And I hope they beat the Bills but long after that game is over and forgotten and it doesn't matter what we're talking about at 4.30, the decisions we make today will still be echoing in eternity. And I'm convinced of this, God is moving, but if we ever get satisfied and settle for just meeting, God will quit moving. Will you stand with me wherever you are? If you're in a church house somewhere around the country, we want you to join us today at 4.30 as well. Kyle Worsham, our online campus pastor, is going to have a link that you can zoom in and you can ask questions in real time because as we're seeking to reach our Jerusalem in the Kansas City metro, we want to help you reach your Jerusalem wherever you live and whatever neighborhood you're in. Where you live may be our Samaria, our Judea, Kansas City for you may be your Judea, Samaria, but together we can reach farther than any of us could ever reach alone. Jesus, I pray that we could be a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean age, that each of us individually would desire to embody these character qualities of irresistibility, that you would find the bride of Christ irresistible, not Laodicean, that you would continue until you come to open up doors of opportunity to impact eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me? Praise him, would you?
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at AbundantLifeLS.